Eddie Mayer on LBC. It's Friday, it's a quarter to five. It's Simon Marks' American Week. Eddie, it is a rule of American life that if you're walking through a forest and encounter a hornet's nest, you never poke it with a stick. If you stumble across an aggressive bear or a mountain lion in a national park, you quietly back away without making a fuss. Never, in other words, make any dramatic moves or think you can improve things by becoming suddenly and unusually aggressive. The former president of the United States of America has created and spread a web of lies about the 2020 election. Yesterday, commemorating the first anniversary of the January 6th Capitol Hill uprising, Joe Biden threw the Park Service rulebook out of the window and let his inner fury rip. He's done so because he values power over principle, because he sees his own interest as more important than his country's interest, than America's interest. And because his bruised ego matters more to him than our democracy or our constitution, he can't accept he lost. The president never articulated his predecessor's name during the course of that speech in Statuary Hall, the cradle of American democracy that was defiled a year ago by the mob incited to riot on Capitol Hill by Donald Trump. But he made it apparent that the threat posed by that mob and by their organ grinder has not dissipated over the past 12 months. If anything, it's intensified. The president talking about anger and madness gripping America that is not abating. The country, he insisted, has a big choice to make. We must decide what kind of nation are we going to be? Are we going to be a nation that accepts political violence as a norm? Are we going to be a nation where we allow partisan election officials to overturn the legally expressed will of the people? Are we going to be a nation that lives not by the light of the truth, but in the shadow of lies. Now let's briefly set aside the fact that the same Joe Biden insists US democracy is so strong that it can defeat the 21st century threat posed by China and Russia. Instead, let's look at the latest opinion polls. They show that at least one third of the country has already made its mind up on those critical questions the president listed. One voter in three, that's more than 50 million people, now believes violence against the US government is at times just Dig a little deeper and you'll find that more than 40% of Republicans believe violence is sometimes the answer. And on the issue of truth versus lies, more than 30% of Americans and more than 70% of Republicans believe the entirely false claim that the 2020 election was rigged and that Joe Biden is an illegitimate president. And so he devoted a substantial portion of his speech yesterday to a defense of his mere right to sit in the Oval Office. He's not just a former president. He's a defeated former president. Defeated by a margin of over 7 million of your votes in a full and free and fair election. There is simply zero proof the election results are inaccurate. In fact, in every venue where evidence had to be produced, an oath to tell the truth had to be taken. 
the former president failed to make his case. Joe Biden wasn't the only one using the January 6th commemoration as an opportunity to warn of the enormously grave dangers ahead here. In the New York Times yesterday, Jimmy Carter thundered that America now teeters on the brink of a widening abyss. Without immediate action, he said, we are at genuine risk of civil conflict and losing our precious democracy. Those, of course, are the views of one defeated former president the Biden White House respects. From Donald Trump yesterday, no humility, no shame over having been publicly excoriated in terms that no modern president has ever used before about his predecessor. Instead, he relished being at the centre of Joe Biden's attention, issuing two furious statements in which he ordered his supporters never to forget the crime of the 2020 presidential election and never to give up. So far, so predictable. But it's what followed that should be ringing alarm bells even more loudly. A party who is enthralled to a cult of personality um, is a party that is... Uh dangerous for the country. That's Congresswoman Liz Cheney warning reporters that the Republican Party of which she is a member is now a threat to the nation. She was walking there alongside her father, former Vice President Dick Cheney. As we said on the programme yesterday, he used to be considered as right-wing as America got. But they were the only two Republicans who bothered to show up for a moment of silence in the House of Representatives chamber, honouring the four police officers who died as a result of last year's Direction. And in brief comments, the former vice president, himself a veteran of the House, assailed the current Republican leadership there. It's not a leadership that resembles any of the folks I knew when I was here for 10 years. Indeed, Republican leaders yesterday ceded the airtime to the lunatic fringe that now dominates the party in Congress. Representative Matt Gates of Florida took to Steve Bannon's web TV program, highly influential on the right, to advance an array of conspiracy theories, including entirely unfounded claims that the January 6th insurrection was partly orchestrated by the Democrats and the FBI. They lied about Trump and Russia. They lied about the Biden corruption in the Ukraine to cover that up. And now they're trying to lie about January 6th so that they can actually use the power of our government to stop people from taking the power back that actually belongs to the people. That's what this whole thing is about. And we have to see it clearly to be able to stop it. How bad are things? Well, last night, Republican Senator Ted Cruz of Texas found out a solidly right wing presence on Capitol Hill, who this time a year ago was leading efforts to overturn Joe Biden's election victory. On Thursday, he had this to say during a Senate hearing about the events of last January. We are approaching a solemn anniversary this week, uh, and it is an anniversary of a violent terrorist attack on the Capitol, where we saw the men and women of law enforcement demonstrate incredible courage, incredible bravery, uh, risk their lives... Uh, to defend the men and women who serve in this capital. Now, you might wonder, what's wrong with that? The Republicans, after all, are the party of law and order. Ted Cruz there expressing time-honoured support for police who found themselves battling a violent, raging mob. But it was his description of that mob as terrorists that brought opprobrium down on his head from Republicans who instead call them patriots. And so last night on Fox News, Ted Cruz had to grovel before primetime host Tucker Carlson. It was 
excruciating. The way I phrased things yesterday, it, it was sloppy and, and it was frankly dumb. And, I don't and buy that. Result, whoa, 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 whoa. Well, I don't buy that. For, look, I've known you a long time since before you went to the Senate. You were a Supreme Court contender. You take words as seriously as any man who's ever served in the Senate. What I was referring to are, are the limited number of people who engaged in violent attacks against police officers. Now, I think you and I both agree that if you assault a police officer, you should go to jail. A lot of people have misunderstood well, that comment. Wait a I second, but even you yeah. wait, but hold on. What you just said doesn't make sense. So if somebody assaults a cop, he should be charged and go to jail. I couldn't agree more. Mm -hmm. We have said that for years. But that person's still not a terrorist. Like, why'd you now, use that word? The reason I use that word is that's the word I've always used for people that violently attack cops. But in this context, I get why people were angry because we've had a year of the corrupt corporate media and Democrats during wait, wait, those wait, wait, protests. Wait, 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 can, can I just ask, hold on, you work in the, I just, I guess I just don't believe you. Hell hath no fury like a Fox News host spurned. We will not know until the votes in November's midterm elections are counted whether Joe Biden's speech yesterday achieved anything beyond getting it all off his chest and poking a stick at his predecessor. But if Republicans manage to capture control of Congress, this time through the ballot box, be warned that even men like Senator Cruz are now too soft for many of them. The fate of Democrats this November is, of course, inexorably linked to the pandemic. We're going to see, as you all have been hearing, continued rise in cases. But you can protect yourself. The president on Tuesday once again urging people to get boosted or, in the case of the unvaccinated, finally to begin the process. But he insisted again that the current wave of the pandemic is different. We have the tools to protect people from severe illness due to Omicron if people choose to use the tools. We have the medicines coming along that can save so many lives and dramatically reduce the impact that COVID has had on our country. There's a lot of reason to be hopeful in 2020. But for God's sake, Please take advantage of what's available. Now, let's talk about the tools that are available in 2022, not 2020. Yes, the country has vaccines, enough to go around, but still more than 35 million people refusing to touch them with a barge pole. But the other tools the president discussed are not, in fact, currently at the public's disposal. The 20 million antiviral pills he's ordered have not yet rolled off the production lines. And what about the half billion free COVID tests he's promised the American public? Jeff Zients, the coordinator of his COVID task force, conceded this week that the government doesn't yet have them. As of yesterday, the public contracting process is closed. Deliveries of tests from manufacturers to the U.S. government will begin over the next week or so. Americans will start receiving free tests in the coming weeks. Weeks, you say? I wonder how many. We learnt this morning that those tests will be distributed to people using the U.S. Post Office. That's the same U.S. Post Office currently unable to deliver my mail because so many staff are out with COVID and the same U.S. Post Office seeking an exemption from the president's vaccine mandate because it would lead to the loss of so many staff that the post would come to an even longer standstill. That U.S. Post office. And as for the booster campaign, while the president was telling people this week, for God's sake, to get one, Mr. Zeintz tucked away another announcement on what it means to be fully vaccinated in America. Someone is considered fully vaccinated if they receive their 
primary series of vaccines. That has not changed and we do not have any plans to change that. In other words, even though the government is aware the initial two shots do not in fact protect you very much against Omicron, you'll still be deemed fully vaccinated even if you don't bother to get the booster that Joe Biden says you need. No wonder half a dozen of his former public health advisers this week urged the White House to start getting real about COVID, abandon the pretense that the virus can in any way be defeated and instead try to get ahead of a curve that this White House is relentlessly chasing. Which brings me to the issue of schools. Now, forgive me for doing a bit of a Joe Biden and working my own frustrations out here, but we're at the end of the first week of the year and I'm wondering whether my 15-year-old is in fact ever going to complete his education. While President Biden says there's no reason for schools to close or go virtual, they've got the tools, you see, to stay open, all over the country that's exactly what they're doing, hit by staff shortages and a vast number of ill children. But here in Washington, the mayor, a fervent supporter of the president, is determined to keep the schools open. So, and bear with me here, on Monday and Tuesday, she ordered them closed so every family could pick up a COVID test from the schools. Only then it snowed on Sunday night, so the Monday plan was abandoned and the pickup of tests was put back to Tuesday and Wednesday. On Wednesday afternoon, we were all told to upload our negative test results to a website. Except the website didn't work, so we were then told the kids could just show up instead with a handwritten note from their parents confirming they had tested negative, because that's obviously foolproof. It always got me out of swimming. Yesterday, a miracle, a day of school, but only for those students and staff who could show they were negative. Last night, a little bit more snow, so the schools are closed again today. Will there be testing requirements next week? No one knows, but we're keeping a pad of Basildon Bond handy just in case. The good news is that my son has used the week to perfect his sourdough recipe and we didn't run out of flour and decide to hop in the car and head to the shops. I have not seen a emergency vehicle or a police car or a plow. That is NBC reporter Josh Laderman, who along with thousands of other motorists got stranded on Monday night for more than 12 hours on the major highway south of Washington. As the temperatures dipped, the roads froze and for reasons that no one can explain, they had not been salted, gritted or treated with any of the tools at the disposal of the authorities to keep the roads open. In freezing, dangerous temperatures, thousands of people were abandoned, not in a remote part of the country, but right outside Washington. The thousands, I can see thousands of cars from where I am on the highway on I-95 have been in their cars overnight without food, without water. Uh, it's been 26 degrees outside and nobody knows how long we're going to be here uh, or how we are going to get out. Uh, if you're looking for, you know, the rescue battalions and the backup to be coming, we have not seen any of that. Dawn brought some sunshine and several hours later the logjam was cleared as the ice thawed. Among those stranded, Tim Kaine, Hillary Clinton's running mate in 2016. He spent nearly 30 hours stuck in his car. Given that he's a senator, maybe he can find out what on earth went wrong. It was never like this in the old days. Looks like we got us a then, America boasted to the rest of the world about the brilliance of its highway system and its readiness to overcome any kind of motoring obstacle. I know, Eddie. I saw it in the film.
Simon Marks back next Friday at a quarter to five with his American Week. If you can't make it, I will need a handwritten note. This is LBC. I'm Eddie Mayer.